Amen. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Genesis 2, Matthew 19. Genesis 2 and uh, Matthew uh, 19. Um, by the way, we have, uh, a, for everybody that's here, uh, there's a book for you over there. There's two choices. If you haven't read either of these, uh, this is the one I would read first. It's called His Needs, Her Needs. It might seem like that's a dumb title, and I thought that for a long time and refused to read it. Um, but it's an excellent book, and uh, what I like about it is it causes you to think about what happens from your spouse's perspective. You know, I, I think the easiest thing for all of us to do is think about everything that happens in our marriage and in our life and what we want out of marriage and life from our perspective. Th this is an outstanding book just because it helps you understand your spouse's perspective, and it's not the same as yours, nor is it supposed to be. Uh, it's a gift from the church, uh, one for each family. And then if you've already read this book, I have this one up there. Uh, that's also an excellent book. Um, I would read it after this one. Uh, we sell both of these in the bookstore, but they're free, uh, one book for each family. And so if you've read that one, there's some of these up here. Two years ago when I taught the class, we gave away the Love and Respect book, so I didn't get as many of those because I thought some of you would have uh, that from before. If you didn't get uh, one of these yet, uh, before you leave, we need to get you an envelope and a survey. I really would like everybody to fill one out. Don't put your name on the survey. Don't put your name on the envelope. You can turn them in uh, today. You can turn them in next week. Uh, the ones you turn in today, I will not open. I will just open them all when it's just a stack of envelopes so that you can fill out the survey and have it you know, truly be anonymous. And as we go through the class and deal with these subjects, uh, it'll give us uh, an opportunity to, to talk about all those things. We've got 14 weeks, so we're going to talk about a great variety of things. Uh, you should also get a little slip of paper. If you didn't, uh, hey, Caleb, if you didn't get that little slip of paper, can you lift your hand and let him get you one? It's just a little, you got everybody? Okay. That, every week we'll pass out those. And every week at the end, I ask that everybody turn one in. Uh, if you want to turn it in with a smiley face or a frowny face, that's fine. If you want to turn it in with, uh, I didn't like the way you combed your hair today. Uh, but it, what it, whatever you want to put on there, it's in design for you to be able to ask anonymous questions. And then so every week when we begin our lesson, we'll start with answering questions that were turned in. Now, when you turn them in, if it's a question that's related to a subject we're going to deal with later, I'll just keep it in a pile and we'll deal with it when we get to that subject. But it's designed so that you can turn in anonymous questions. And to me, uh, that's one of the most important aspects of this class because it allows uh, the practical application of the things we're going to teach. You know, the Bible uh, gives uh, very clear principles for handling things. The Bible is a timeless book. It's designed for every time, uh, every age, every culture. And the only way you can do that is to write principles. And those principles then uh, believing people take and apply to their day and age and, and circumstance. And so uh, those questions are really important. So I would really appreciate you uh, to do that and uh, just set them in a pile uh, up there. 
and uh, again turn them in anonymously and uh, that would be a, a wonderful thing. Uh, should be if you don't have it yet in two places in your Bible. Genesis 2 and uh, Matthew chapter 19 and uh, <clears throat> I've been married, uh, Sharon and I will have been married this Wednesday 37 years and uh, I would honestly say my, my, my wife is here uh, one of our sons is in here. All three of our sons have been in this class at, at one time or, or another. I, I can honestly say to you I would marry the same woman again. I can honestly say to you I love her more today uh, than I did the day we got married. Uh, that doesn't mean that we haven't had difficult times and issues to work through. Everybody has issues to work through. Everybody disagrees. The issue is not, will you have issues to work through or will you disagree? The issue is, as a couple, how will you work through them? How will you disagree? And that really is going to make or break, you know, your, 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 your family. Um, I'm not a professional counselor. <laughs> I'm a biblical uh, student. And uh, like I say, I, I am happily married. That's why I can joke about it. You wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to joke about my wife uh, publicly if there was bad blood in between us. You, you just can't do that. Um, not that we don't have things we still work on, but uh, I, I have a good marriage. Uh, probably over the years, I've done over 60 uh, premarital counseling sessions with people getting ready to get married. Uh, I went down a roster uh, at one point. Uh, and there's uh, at least 40 couples on our roster that at one point or another that I have talked to about uh, marriage issues. Uh, I'm, again, I I'm not some expert on this. I'm not somebody who's standing here to tell you, hey, the the our home is perfect, yours is not. You need to be, that's not what I'm doing. Uh, I want to help you uh, take the next steps in your marriage and um, I don't have all the answers. I believe our God has all the answers. I believe he strongly desires to help anybody who really wants his help. Uh, one, one of the things uh, that happened uh, up on vacation, I was riding with that same guy, he was drunk. It was that same day, earlier in the day. And uh, he said... My God doesn't mind if you have a few beers when you go fishing. And I said, well, that's one of the big problems people have. I said, there's only one God, and, and people want to make that God into their own image. And then I just let it go. Um, I don't have all the answers, but our God does. And that's all we're here to do is to talk about biblical answers, I can 100% guarantee you that if you apply these principles in, in your life to your behavior, to your thinking, uh, it will make your home better. 100% guarantee, because they don't come from me. Um, and we're going to deal with some um, issues for married couples uh, or people getting ready to be married. They're serious issues. It's really not, some of our classes are not appropriate for children but they are appropriate for, for married couples, and it's important. 
Uh, this class has mattered a lot to me over the years. This is the eighth time uh, I've done it. Um, I, I believe a lot of people are, are like my wife and I when we got married 37 years ago. Uh, we wanted to have a good marriage and we wanted to have a Christian home, but I really don't, uh, neither of us really felt like we knew how to do that or what that looked like. Uh, we're both blessed to come from homes where our parents stayed together, but neither one of us would have looked at the home in which we were raised and said, you know what, I want a marriage just like my mom and dad had. Our goal as a married couple was to be able to say to our children, hey, you treat your spouse like you watched us treat each other. You find somebody who will treat you like you watched us treat each other. That's our goal. That, that should be your goal too. And I believe by the grace of God we can all uh, have that. I mean, think about it. Uh, 99% of the people who walk down a marriage aisle and get married love one another. 99% of the people that walk down an aisle uh, believe their marriage is going to be one of the ones that make it. And yet 50% were told of people who get married divorce. And so it's obvious that it takes more than love and good intentions to, to stay together and to have a good home. Uh, and... That's what we're here to talk about. Uh, before we start, I'm going to, like I do every time I teach that, I want to just give you some foundational thoughts. I'll, I'll repeat these every week. I want these planted deeply in your mind and in your heart. Uh, you may not agree with them all, uh, at least when we start, uh, but I hope you'll let them be planted in your heart anyway. Here's number one. Nothing can be taken back that's been done to this point by either person. What's done is done. Number two, uh, all that you can hope for is to change today and tomorrow. They can change. Here's number three. If you're struggling, you didn't get where you are in a day. You're not going to get out in a day. Uh, but by the grace of God, you can have things better. Here's number four. You can only control one person in this world. And I ask that you focus on that one in this class. You may be here thinking that, you know, my spouse needs to hear some of this stuff. Uh, they might. But if that's what you're doing when you're here, you're going to miss the point of the class. The point is, is always that if you and I control the one person we can control, which is ourself, it will always give our spouse the best opportunity to do better than they're doing now. Here's number five. There's always hope when God's involved. Uh, God is love. You might be at the place where you decide, you know what, I never really did love him. Uh, with God, you can begin to love him. You might be at the place where you decide, you know what, I don't love them as much as I should. Uh, God is love. You can love them better. You might be at the place where you say, you know what, I don't love them anymore. <laughs> uh, God is love, and you can love again. You have to have God involved in, 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 in what you're doing. Uh, here's number six. No one's assured to have a great marriage if you were raised in a great home. You can fail. Here's number seven. No one's destined to repeat the home in which you were raised. If it was bad, you can succeed. Here's number eight, and this is the one people have the most problems with. The person to whom you're married now is a marriage you're supposed to be working on with the person to whom you're supposed to be married. I think it's probably, and, and maybe it happens, I, I personally doubt it, uh, I think probably every marriage has some season when you step back and you say to yourself, did I marry the right person? 
Um, if you're married, stop asking yourself that question. The person you're married to now is the right person, and the marriage you're in now is the one you're supposed to work on. I, I get it. A lot of marriages start at times and under circumstances that you look back on and you say, wow, this started on a faulty foundation. Maybe it's all a mess. Some people get married when they're young and they really don't know themselves or the other person. Some people get married just because they're in a bad situation at home and want out. Some people get married because they physically went too far uh, and they feel guilty and so they just get married to that person because at least I'm married to the person that I went too far with. I mean, marriages start for all kinds of reasons and, and the point today is not why did your marriage start. The point is, is that if you're married, the person you're with now is the right person and the marriage you're supposed to be working on. And God himself is the author of marriage. And by the way, the word marriage and the word husband and the word wife, those belong to God. They don't belong to a government. They don't belong to a church. They, they don't belong to anybody but God who created the institution. should be in your Bible in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Genesis 2, 18. It says, And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I'll make an help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, uh, that was the name thereof. Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and he brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh." And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. We'll stop there. We see there in verse 18 uh, that God was the one who made the observation, it's not good that the man should be alone. Uh, technically, Adam wasn't alone. Uh, God was there. And he had just named all the beasts of the field and the cattle and the fowls. Uh, he wasn't alone. Uh, in fact, God caused all that stuff to come before him so that Adam would recognize his need for someone who was like him. Uh, God knew before it all started Adam wouldn't be happy alone. Uh, but God knew, knew that Adam needed to recognize that. And despite uh, a right relationship with God and understanding of nature and the world around him, Adam needed someone uh, to be physically and emotionally complete. By the way, it is still generally true today. Most men do worse alone than women do alone. Occasionally, there's, a, there's an exception, but generally speaking, men don't do well alone. Women do much better alone. By the way, we see in verse 18 that it was God who designed Eve to complete Adam. He says, I'll make an help meet for him. A helpful counterpart. She was the most unique, beautiful, and complex of all God's creatures. 
kind of interesting, if we were to study this, we would find that all the animals and man, God made from the dirt. But God made the woman uniquely, instead of from the dirt, made her from Adam's rib. Unique. By the way, if you study the creation week, what you'll find is that as creation week goes on, everything increases in complexity as time goes on. The first day God made, made the planet, the second day made the air, the third day he made the plants, uh, and the seas, the fourth day made uh, the sun, the moon, and the stars, the fifth day made the land animals, and the sixth day uh, he made man. And later in that day he made the woman. Uh, unique and very complex. Uh, By the way, it is still true today that most women are most fulfilled helping someone and pouring her life into someone. Now very often that becomes the children instead of her husband, but still that whole basic idea that I am there to help fulfill someone become what they're supposed to be. Most women generally have that to a much larger degree than men do. And almost immediately after her creation, Adam and Eve say their wedding vows before God Himself. You should have, keep your hand there, but you should have Matthew chapter 19. Notice as we read uh, Jesus' answer in Matthew 19, uh, beginning verse 3, And the Pharisees also came unto Him, tempting Him, and saying unto Him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read? So notice Jesus answers their question by going back to the Bible. He expected them to have read Genesis. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, so notice here, Jesus attributes what's said to God and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. It's kind of interesting. Go back to Genesis in verse 23. It says, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Isn't it interesting, Jesus attributes those words to God, and Genesis attributes those to Adam. Uh, What I personally think happened, I think God repeats a vow that Adam repeated, just like you do at a wedding today. Uh, God said uh, something, Adam repeated it, and God himself performed the first marriage ceremony. By the way, turn up a few pages to Genesis chapter 5. Because as a result of that ceremony in Genesis 5 verse 1 says, and this is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Notice that Eve took Adam's name. By the way, a lot of people think that is a cultural tradition or an American tradition. No, uh, for a wife to take her husband's name, that's a biblical tradition that goes all the way back to when God started the institution of marriage. By the way, I'm not saying don't hyphenate and keep your um, maiden name. I'm not saying that. I said 
for a wife to take her husband's name. That's a biblical issue. You say, Brother Wally, what's the point of going back to the beginning like this to start our class? The point is simple. God is the author of marriage. Not a society, not a government, not some controlling man. Uh, Most of you recognize this as a DVD or a CD. And uh, I have a message written uh, on that. What does the message on that CD say? How are you today? Can I write on a CD and communicate to you? Yeah, because I just did. Let me ask you a question. Is that the best way to use this? Or if this is used the way it was designed and created, does it communicate a lot more information in a much better manner than me writing on it with a magic marker? You see, it's just like that with marriage. A lot of people have what they call marriage, and what they do is they want to do it their way. They don't want to find out how it was designed. Imagine buying a new car and saying, you know what, I'm not going to read the owner's manual. I'm going to put oil in it if I feel like it. I'm going to drive as long and as fast as as hard. I'm going to use this however I want to use it, and then wonder why it doesn't function like it was designed. See, everybody wants what God designed from the institution of marriage. Everybody who's married wants security. Everybody who's married wants love. Everybody who's married wants stability. Everybody who's married wants support. Everybody who's married wants fulfillment, physical and emotional fulfillment. Everybody wants that, but everybody nearly always does marriage their way. I'm going to do marriage my way, but I want what the designer promised from marriage. It doesn't work that way. If you want all the good things that the God who loves us, the God who is good, the God who is kind, the God who loves man far more than man ever loved anything, if you want what He designed and wanted to give us in marriage, then we're going to have to do marriage God's way. Do you even know what God's way is? Do you wonder why so many of society look at marriage as being oppressive? The ball and chain. The old lady. My old man. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why they don't get out of that institution what they dream and what our Creator intends. Because they won't do marriage God's way. And if you and I ever hope to make our marriages right, we must go back to find out what the one who started marriage intended it to be. But that brings up a good question. How did God start the institution of marriage? Now, it's pretty obvious that God started it with a man and a woman. You know, it was Adam and Eve, like many of you have heard, not Adam and Steve. Nobody used to vote on that. Uh, God started their vows with a priority on their relationship instead of the parent-child relationship. Do you remember the vows? Leave your father and mother. By the way, this institution was going to cost God something. Technically, God is the father of Adam and Eve. 
And so when he brought them together and said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, understand that God personally gave up something so that they could have something. And so we know our spouse is supposed to be our highest priority. Uh, God started their vows with them cleaving together, not to be put asunder by any person or creature. We know marriage is supposed to be a lifelong committed. By the way, I'm not poking at anybody in here who's on, on your second marriage or, or, or whatever. I, I'm just saying, for those of you who are on your first one, God intended that to be lifelong. Uh, did you notice in, in the vows back in Genesis chapter 2? Verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Notice the marriage ceremony was before the physical relationship. Marriage, as far as God looks at marriage, is a man and a woman sincerely committing themselves to one another before God to stay together for life. Though I personally like church weddings, it's not the venue that makes you married in God's sight. Uh, It is two people who make a lifelong commitment to each other before God to stay together. Now today, we're only just going to cover two basic principles for marriage from the vows in Genesis chapter 2. Verse 24, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Here's the first principle. You must leave your parents to have a healthy marriage. Uh, I'm not talking about you going home um, for some temporary hardship, but a healthy marriage leaves the parents. By the way, it's pretty obvious from other places in the Bible. uh, We're supposed to honor our father and mother all our life. Um. So it isn't a termination of that relationship. It's a big change in that relationship. Now some parents struggle with this change. Some parents struggle with it because quite frankly they've never built healthy relationships uh, outside of their own children. Never built healthy outlets for their time and talents outside their own children. Sometimes adult children struggle with this uh, for a lot of different reasons. I'm expecting when I get these surveys back to find remarks like uh, he or she calls her mom or dad every day instead of talking to me. He or she tells her mother things they don't even tell me. He or she tells her mother everything that goes on in our house even if it's private. We don't have a life of our own because we spend all our free time with her family or his family. Uh, Her mother or his mother controls way too much of what goes on in our house. I I wish I could say that in the church it wasn't the case, but I actually think in the church it's actually worse than the world when it comes to adult children leaving their father and mother. And sometimes... It's just not, a, not an easy thing to do because parents will put a guilt trip on their adult children. But please hear me, you will never have a healthy marriage if you do not leave your parents. I, I realize some people fail in the other direction and they just refuse to have anything to do with their parents. That that's not right either. You're supposed to honor your father and mother. But by and large... Um, 
You can be angry with me all you want. Uh, but this is not my plan. It's God's plan. And a part of that plan for marriage is that you leave your father and mother. By the way, it's just a good time to pause and thank God for faithful, godly parents who handle this well. That there's a lot of good, godly people who they want their children to have an independent, functional marriage and, and, and home. Thank God for them. Do you notice the second basic principle? And this is our last thing this morning. Uh, verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife. You must, here's number two. You must cleave to your spouse to have a healthy marriage. See, leaving your parents is not enough if you fail to also cleave to your spouse. Cleave means to hold on to, to cling to, to be close to something or someone. Cleaving is an investment in your spouse, uh, in their emotions and effort. Cleaving to your spouse affects your priorities and your hobbies and the time you spend on your hobbies. Cleaving to your spouse affects all your other relationships and your, all your other friends, especially the ones who are single. Uh, selfishness is the greatest enemy of cleaving to your spouse. I, I have been saying for years, and I still believe it is true, you do not realize how self-focused you are till you get married and you try to uh, join two lives. And then I do not believe you realize how self-focused and selfish you remain till you have children. And then it really dawns on you just how much you're focused on yourself and your own needs. God wants our highest priority earthly relationship uh, to be our spouse. That doesn't mean there's not time for God. That doesn't mean there's not time for work or for friends or hobbies or serving in ministry. That, that doesn't mean that. It just means from the moment you say I do, that person you said I do to is your highest priority earthly relationship. And over the next 14 weeks, we're just going to go issue by issue, uh, dealing with practical things that uh, make us struggle in, in, in marriage. Uh, listen, just the fact that you're here today, and I know we have several folks who will be here but are away on vacation, just the fact that you're here today just means to me you want to invest in that relationship. And uh, God offers great things in, in a good marriage. Trust security, love, acceptance. Listen, all of us hunger for those things. All of us hunger for those things. But you'll never get those things. you never make what you have better or fix what's broken until you learn what our Creator's plan is and follow it. Psychologists don't have the answer. By and large, modern psychology is humanism. By and large. Uh, our Creator has the answers. And He wants you to succeed. Um, you should have, if you... Uh, does everybody have one of those little four-question papers? You fill that out. I, I give you about six minutes, so some of you can get a good start on these surveys. If you didn't get the surveys, if you would lift your hand. Let me get you them. Remember, just fill them out anonymously. Don't put your name on them or the envelope. Turn them in. in did I get those? Anybody else not get these yet? Turn them in um, either later today or 
next week in a sealed envelope. I will not look at any of them until I have them all so that they will be anonymous with me as well. Did I say synonymous or anonymous? Well, I said synonymous. I meant anonymous. Thank you for knowing what I meant. I do have a, uh, a pen. Anybody else need a pen? Anybody else need a pen? Please take the time to fill them out. You say, I don't have to. I hate filling out surveys. Well, just fill out as much of it as you feel like filling out and turn in something. It, it really helps uh, later on uh, through the class. And I, it also is good, you know what, sometimes it's good for you to think about that stuff. Well, like I say, you can turn them in and I'll leave it in the sealed envelope until after next week. <laughs>